So welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. I'm here today with Mark Davidson, who is a distinguished educator with 29 years experience, 25 of those in administration. Um, I've known Mark through Curtis and Lorna and their work with Jigsaw Learning, uh, having first heard him speak at the inaugural Collaborative Response Conference. And I know that Mark is truly passionate about supportive accountability and the idea that individuals and systems improve with data, with research, and with challenging dialogue about the meaningful work that can be done. So Mark is currently joining us from Medicine Hat Public School Division, where he serves as the superintendent. Thank you for taking time Hi. to be with us today. That's my pleasure. I know that you have moved from Peace Wapiti to your current role, so I'm gonna take you back to that time first because that is the first place that you implemented collaborative response. Can you tell me a little bit about the decision-making behind what inspired you to do so there? Sure. Um, you know, when when I got there as deputy, one of the conversations that uh, we were having um, with administrators in schools and amongst the executive team uh, was about how well we were doing um, as a system writ large in terms of uh, differentiating for uh, our students. So how well were we meeting the needs of students um, for whom we hadn't gone through the process of, of, um, of testing and assigning an ISP and so on. I think there was a really robust set of supports for students who uh, had made it that far through that process. But we were really having lots of conversations about how to meet the needs of those students um, who, who weren't quite there, but weren't on ISPs and, 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 and so on. But we were also having conversations about how uh, we were a large system geographically, uh, over 6,000 students spread out over an area the size of Wales. And we're wanting to have a, a level of continuity system-wide in terms of our beliefs about what high quality um, teaching and learning look like. And so, um, there was a conversation happening we initiated a conversation as a team about how do you define a quality of learning environment for um, for for students quality learning environment meaning um, uh, everything that a teacher can control or can put a lot of influence over in the learning environment of a student uh, the things that rest within our locus of control or that we can strongly influence and so we worked together to, to come up with a description of what that would mean to us, all of it tied to the, the ministerial order, certainly, uh, but perhaps more aspirational. And the reason that we did that was that we wanted to have the ability to have a conversation about this is what it should look like for a student no matter where they go to school. Now let's talk about um, what it means if, what it should look like, the universal level of service. Um, still is is happening and still we're struggling to meet the needs of students um, so it was that it was that effort to bring continuity in terms of our thinking about differentiation about what uh, universal level of, of services and support should look like for students that led us down the road uh, of examining collaborative response as a way of fine-tuning the conversations Given that experience, what prompted you to follow suit with collaborative response in your new role with Medicine Hat Public School Division? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to key in on there because you went from quality learning environments and it has a new name in Medicine Hat Public School Division of optimal learning environments. Yeah. 
Well, that's because I didn't tell anybody what it should be. So um, when we started the process of defining quality learning environment, um, we engaged in a system-wide process where we had representatives from every school serving on a committee, um, engaging in research um, in order to, to come up with a definition of what uh, a quality learning environment would look like. Um, the concern that was raised about that process by um, folks who I worked with was, well, what if they don't come up with something that's uh, logical or wise, or it's actually a really good description of a quality learning environment. And uh, what I said was, if we hold true to the notion that whatever gets in here has to be supported by research, then whatever the names or the orders or whether it comes out looking like a cube or a circle or if it's a triangle or a picture of a tree, the pieces that should be part of it, if they're, if they're brought to it by professionals engaged in professional inquiry, will be the ones that need to be there. And so that process took over a year in Peace Wapiti and then they came up with, the team came up with what you see there now. Um, when I came here, some of the similar issues, although probably to a greater extent existed in that every school um, functioned as an independent body. They were uh, really very little that tied them together in terms of shared understanding of practice, professional vision. Uh, we had separate report cards for every school. In fact, we had schools with three report cards within it. Uh, so there was a lot of freedom, but there was very little in the way of shared understanding of of what it is uh, we meant when we said that we were doing a great a great job for kids. And so we invited the very same kind of conversation. I could draw a little bit on past experience to help guide the conversations, not toward an outcome, but in terms of the structure of the conversation and the sequence of conversation and who's accountable for what kind of outcomes and how fast, when to break off into subcommittees and so on that the same kind of process unfolded here and they came up with a different name. And I think the different name was really about wanting to make sure that, that uh, you, you didn't just go and look at other people's models and then make it your own. Um, we actually strongly discouraged the group from wandering around inside of models that exist in other systems like Chinook's Edge or uh, Peace Wapiti. Uh, we really strongly encourage the research. And if you want to look at it in order to think about what produces a really nice functional model when you're done, that's fine. You can use it as a way to standard set, but do your own thinking and do your own research. Um, we spoke at the time about TED Talks. TED Talks are awesome, but if you use TED Talks, like a TED Talk on X, as what guides you in your work, then what you're doing is really, really, uh, negative in terms of your own professional learning because someone produced a ted talk that's x minutes long based on years of experience and research and reading and building a bank uh, of power uh, that they earned and if you just use the work of someone else and then reproduce that model what you've missed is all of that learning you failed to build power your own personal professional power and so we're really careful to make sure that we engaged in a process that was understood, but that the, the learning was there was our own. So as someone who believes in the power of the process, how has that applied to the implementation of collaborative response across a division? So 
pulling on that top-down, bottom-up understanding of leadership, what what uh, I and my team indicated to the system was, look, we're, we are too disparate in our approaches to meeting the needs of our students, and we don't have enough in the way of shared uh, vocabulary. So there we go on building an optimal learning environment uh, model. Now what we need to do is talk about what is our response when our commitment to this model still isn't producing outcomes for our young people. And that's that notion of supportive accountability. If you have data that tells you what you're doing isn't working, you must do something different. You can't expect the kid to do the same thing only harder and get a different outcome. It is a professional obligation, like any profession. If what you're doing is not supporting your patient, your client, your student, then what you are doing must change in order to, to better meet their needs. And so collaborative response serves a, more than one purpose for us. Um, for me, it's an instrument to uh, draw out broader systemic change. Because when you have um, people having conversations across the system within a, a shared model, a very similar framework, um, but talking about the, those things um, with data that applies just to them, um, with professionals who work in their building with their own teachers, you start to build capacity among teachers across the system to um, really directly engage in using data, using collaboration uh, in order to um, help them shape action and then to measure whether or not that action is effective and so on. So, so one goal of it, um, was to just have our entire system engaged in work that um, made it really clear in action that a core value of our system is that we function uh, with a mindset that is uh, all about inclusion. So in part, it's about putting in place a structure that is a manifestation of your vision, that it is absolutely clear this structure is so important, we're going to invest time and sweat and heart and money in making it happen because in our education plan it says an inclusive mindset matters so if it matters then what we do has to actually be a clear articulation of that um, the other piece of it is it helps us guide our professional learning thinking as individuals as schools and as system so when conversations come up within collaborative response about challenges that teachers either individuals or groups uh, are facing uh, uh, around being able to adapt to meet the needs of students as opposed to being able to squeeze the student into the model that works for us, but actually adapting to them, meet their needs. Um, it drives conversations for administrators. They can say to a teacher, then how do I help you build that skill set? In the meantime, the kid deserves that support today. So how do we find the right person here in our building right now to do that work? Or how do we pull together to do it? And then over time, how do I help you? develop that skill so that that's something that you can adapt to right within your own building. That gives administrators the opportunity when they hear a similar set of challenges emerging, a whole bunch of kids in the cohort or across the school are facing a similar set of challenges, then that allows the school to consider that as a very significant data supported goal that'll drive their inquiry as a team. And then at the system level, it does the same thing. So 
um, really collaborative response if you don't see it as setting up a process and then sending all the schools out and say, do your thing. But if you see it as working to build the process, here's the common understanding of the principles that guide it. Now go do it in your own way, but with fidelity to the core principles. Uh, and then always pay attention to what's being said in those schools, then it helps uh, drive the system to make decisions about where to put the resources, where to put their heart, so that we're actually uh, listening to what uh, students are telling teachers and what teachers are telling us about their needs. So I hear you talk about that, Mark, and I can tell from a district leadership perspective that you have a strong understanding of the implementation of collaborative response in schools. What would you say to other district leaders that were considering allowing schools to pursue collaborative response, what advice would you give a leader? So I would say that, um, that implementing the principles of collaborative response um, at a school on your own is doable. We know that because Curtis did it. I know that because um, Claremont Community School was engaged in it before I got to Peace Wapiti uh, School Division. So it's doable. You, you absolutely can do it as a single school on your own. But if applying those principles with fidelity um, works in a school, then how does an organization allow it to be limited to a school? Because you're not talking about something that might work. You know, response to intervention as a, as a, um, as a thing has been around for a while. Response to intervention done wrong has a negative impact on learning. It has a deleterious impact on um, teacher efficacy because done wrong, it's if this, then that. The screen looked like this, so then I went to this canned thing inside the program and I did exactly what it told me to do and I disengaged from professional conversation. Didn't do my own reading. I did the thing that someone else who did the reading put into a program. Um, done properly, it's about that hard work, that grind of, of building collective efficacy, which always builds efficacy for the individual. And so um, if from my perspective, if it's going to be effective and sustainable over the long haul, the system needs to be a support. Now, a system leader can say, uh, Mrs. Schmettelheimer, as principal of this school, has decided that she really wants to go down this road and her staff are all in. Great, I support you in it. Uh, but if you don't go and participate in the conversations about its shape, have conversations about how that work by that principle is directly connected to the leadership quality standard, connected to the goals of the school and system, that this is a manifestation of her professional commitment to kids, and then live support for that work, then um, eventually people tire of an effort and it doesn't end up getting baked in because they're going it alone. Uh, I think if the whole system buys in uh, that you continue to um, speak the language of what it means for learners and I've always said because I've, I've, I've been engaged from when I was a young uh, leader in schools in um, workshops and going and getting professional learning about about leadership structures and all of those kinds of things. I've never been a true believer. I've never been a person who would go and do the workshop and then speak that language and go get the certification. And I, when I did it, when I would go and get certified as a, I don't know, a trainer for X, 
I would do it. I would go out and do that training and I would always wander off script because I believed in the principles, but I wasn't really good at, at just saying what someone else told me I should say. Uh, with collaborative response, it's actually about the core values and principles. It's not about canned language. It's about values and principles, and then you're going to build a vocabulary within your team. Uh, and I think that in itself is powerful. Again, there can be variance across our system in exactly how you do things. But what we really work to not allow um, variance in is uh, attention to those principles and that the work within it always has to end up focusing on teachers, collective and individual professional learning to support what's happening in classrooms. So um, I, I believe in collaborative response done right. Um, and doing it right doesn't just mean following a paint by number system. You have to have courageous conversations. You have to say, fine, you had a meeting. But if you came out of that meeting without an action item and a commitment to kids, then you just wasted time. You can go have coffee and talk about other things if you like. But really, if you're going to engage in collaborative action that's supposed to benefit kids, then all of the pieces need to be present. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it, I think a, an individual school can go down that road and should, absolutely. But I think if, if, if a system wants that kind of growth and learning to occur, uh, then they need to engage with uh, with each school in their own journey and understand the nuances of each school and really dig in with them.